Hello, and welcome to the Bethesda Podcast feed. It's here you can find all of our recorded services. And for more information, you can visit us at GoBethesda.com. We hope you enjoy. Who, who was here Sunday night, this past Sunday night? We, most everybody, everybody wasn't though. I'm going to show you a video. I got a little bit. This is from, I'm over here playing the organ. And I, I couldn't help. I, I did the best I could. To, I, I want to show you a video of what happened here. This never happened in this church before. a mass aisle running I'm gonna tell you right now that was amazing that was so fun it was awesome God moved so powerfully and uh, just we kind of got out of our groove and it was it was a good thing I was very very pleased at what happened I, I'm supposed to make announcements I'm way off uh, I'm way off tonight here uh, junior and senior campers make sure you get your permission slip signed before you leave see McGuire and Sienna for details I hope they make that announcement over there Father's Day, June 19th. It's going to be great. VBS, July 18th through 21. Registration is active. It's live on the website, gobethesda.com. And there's a fundraiser in the lobby. We're very excited about VBS. We're all in on it. Did I get all this stuff? I think I got all the stuff. All right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to teach a little bit from the book of Micah uh, for about 18 minutes. And then uh, I'm going to close it out uh, with a little prayer. At that time, we'll dismiss uh, uh, Sims and Amanda and William to go where they need to go. You have to figure out where they're going to change. And we're going we're gonna to have a baptismal service here and baptize three precious souls in the precious name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. I love it. I love it. I love the name of Jesus, and I love it when people respond to the prompting of the Spirit and the Word of God. So, let me say a prayer. We'll jump into Big Little Books, the book of Micah. Father, thank you so much for your Word, for your faithfulness. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts tonight as only you can. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're in Big Little Books. This is part 37 of this series. This is Micah, chapter 1, and I think we'll finish it tonight because it is a very short, uh, moves rather quickly book. If, if I can, or chapter, if I can, if I can move quickly, it'll move quickly. All right, so we finished the book of Nahum, and this is our sixth minor prophet to tackle in this series. We've covered Joel, Amos, Habakkuk, Jonah, and Nahum, and remember there were 12 minor prophets after Micah. We're only going to have five more to go, Obadiah, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and I'm thinking we'll finish by the end of the year <laughs> and, and so let's uh let's jump right into it uh verse one of this little book of micah the word of the lord that came to micah of morasheth in the days of jotham ahaz and hezekiah kings of judah which he saw concerning samaria and jerusalem so this micah he's from a place it's micah of morasheth the city of morasheth Sometimes it's called Morsheth Gath, is, uh, and it's mentioned in Micah. We'll see it in verse 14 of chapter 1 as Morsheth Gath. It's about 20, 25 miles south 
of Jerusalem, southwest. And it's on the border between Judah and the land where the Philistines were. And so that's where Micah is from. And what that means is that Micah is a country boy. He's like famous Amos. Amos was a country boy. He's a country boy. Country boy can't survive. And here he is speaking and prophesying to the big cities. So country boy, come to the big city with a big word from God. The word of the Lord. The covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. That's Jehovah, Yahweh. He's got a word to the cities, and it's coming from a country boy. So he's got an accent. You know, he's probably got that country twang. And you know that that thing that city folk do, you know, like I'm from the deep fried dirty south, so I'm used to this. You go up north, you go to a big city, and they're like, they kind of chuckle, you know, oh, where are you from? And you're like, I'm from, you know, and I'm trying to be so good with my diction. I'm I'm from Louisiana. And they're like, ha, say that again. I'm from Louisiana. Oh, that's cute. Say that again. They, you know, it's just this twang. So he's got that twang, and the Lord gives him a word, but he doesn't back down because of where he's from or the accent that he may have in his voice. He's got a word from the Lord. Now, we don't know much about Micah's background or call, but Micah most certainly knew who he was. Listen to what he said of himself in Micah 3.8. But truly, I am full of power. Now, we're going to get back to one. But, but this is from 3.8. Listen to how he self-identifies. But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Now if that's not an I am statement, I don't know what is an I am statement. I am who I am says I am. And I can do what I am says I can do. He's saying that's who I am. I'm a man full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. I will pause here and just give a little caveat. He was not baptized in the Holy Ghost like Sims was on Sunday night. That had not happened. When he says, I'm full of power by the Spirit of the Lord, that's a different kind of full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. Because what Sims experienced and what those of us who have experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what we've experienced, that was only possible after the death, burial, resurrection, ascension and the pouring out of the Holy Ghost by Jesus Christ. Until that work was finished, the experience we've had could not be experienced by anybody in the Old Testament. So as powerful as Micah was by the Spirit of God, John the Baptist, the Bible says, Jesus said, was the greatest prophet in the whole Old Testament. The old covenant. There was, he said this. He said there was not another born greater than John the Baptist. Then he gave this little thought. He said, but like when I finish my work, the least in the kingdom that I'm bringing is greater than John the Baptist. Not greater as in more valuable, but just the, the experience that you're able to have because of the finished work of Christ supersedes anything any Old Testament prophet experienced. Are you with me? So when you read those things, sometimes confusing, like, was he baptized in the Holy Ghost? And no, he wasn't. John was careful to point out that when Jesus said, you know, uh, 
he that believeth on me is a, is a scripture that said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. And John says this, John chapter 7, he said, But this spake he of the Holy Ghost, which had not been poured out, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So, the experience that we have after Pentecost, it, it's, it, this is not what Micah had. We have a greater experience. We have better promises. We have a better covenant. We have a better high priest. I mean, we've got, a, we've got so much available to us now that they didn't back then. Nevertheless, they're an indictment to us because with what they had, they did so much. Some of these guys like Micah. And what am I doing with what I have from the Lord? Amen? So, he said, I'm full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Now, we do know when he prophesied in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. This means that Micah ministered as a prophet sometime between 739 B.C., which was the start of the reign of Jotham, and 686 B.C., which was the end of the reign of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was, he was a reformer uh, of sorts, calling out sin, bringing about reformation. He's dealing with the sin of his nation. And we can deduce from that that his ministry took place before the reforms of Hezekiah that we find in the 18th and 19th chapters of 2 Kings. So, he says, concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So here's the country boy Talking to the cities. The city of Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. And Jerusalem was the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah. Micah looked to both the northern and the southern kingdoms in his prophecy. He's kind of going with both of them. In Judah, during this time, Ahaz was an evil ruler. And in Israel, you had nothing but evil rulers. Israel, the southern kingdom, always had a bad king. Uh, uh, Judah the, to the south, you, you never knew. Uh, Israel to the north, always bad. Judah to the south, you never knew. Uh, uh, ver verses 2 through 5. Hear all you peoples, listen, O earth, and all that is in it. Let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him. And the valleys will split like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? So he says here that the Lord... Are you with me? Okay, okay. He says here that the Lord is coming out of his place. So again, this is... Like some of the guys we looked at before, he's got vivid images. And he sees the Lord descending from heaven to earth, and he's coming with judgment. And the idea is this, if the mountains and the valleys can't stand before him, who do you think you are that you might stand before him? He's a mighty God. And it says, all this is for the transgression of Jacob and the sins of the house of Israel. This dramatic and powerful descent of the Lord was only because of the sins of his people. The people of Judah and Israel had to see that our God is coming in judgment for us. 
And they also had to wonder within themselves. Now stick with me on this. They had to wonder within themselves, is what I'm doing as bad as the nations that are surrounding me? Like, I'm, I'm not doing that bad. Look how bad they are doing. Why would you pick on me, God? Why would you come after us? I mean, yeah, we've got some high places. Yeah, which is a place of idolatry. Yeah, we've got some high places even in the city of Jerusalem. And in Samaria, our capital. We've got these high places, these false gods, these idols. But we still call on you, Lord. So why would you like roll up your sleeves and come down the mountain to tear us apart? Why would you do that? What about those other guys, those Philistines, those Hivites, those Hittites, those Amalekites? What about them? Well, there's this little nagging principle in Scripture that we find in 1 Peter 4.17. And 1 Peter, I want to remind you, is in the New Covenant, the New Testament. Listen to this. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So a lot of times, we just kind of rest on our laurels like, Christ has done it all for me. I've received what he's done for me. I'm in good standing with God. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. That's who I am. Because positionally, that's who I am. I believe, I've trusted. That's where I stand. And yet, Peter is saying, judgment begins at the house of God. What I'm saying to you and to me is this, that we're not off scot-free. It's not that we can sin and get away with it. Are you with me? Paul would ask that question rhetorically in Romans chapter 6. Are you telling me that I can sin and get away with it? I should sin because of the grace of God? He says, God forbid. Judgment begins first at the house of God. You know, um, I'm, uh, I'm an only child. And so uh, Valerie is here tonight, so I have to be careful what I say now that I think about it. But I'm an only child. And so what happens is when things start going uh, awry in my own life. Miss Cynthia, you know, like I'm having some problems. Maybe it's money problems. Maybe it's health problems. Maybe it's family problems. Whatever it is, I'm having some kind of issue in my life. Well, my first response to that usually as an only child is I'm like, it can't be my fault, you know. It's somebody else's fault. So who, you know, it's the devil. It's Valerie's. It's... uh, (laughs) It's somebody else's fault. Somebody is, somebody, you know, the devil's fighting us. The devil's using people, man. That, that's my go-to. That's my immediate. Valerie, on the other hand, she's the oldest child. She's a responsible child. She's got her own hang-ups as that oldest child. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's not. I don't know. But her first go-to is that what have we done wrong? Where are we on this? Like somehow we're out of step. We're out of, we're out of kilts with the Lord, the Lord God himself. And I'm like, oh, no, it's, it can't be us, you know. It's got to be somebody else. I mean, my mama told me I was perfect, you know. And so that, that's kind of the way I look at it, and then that's the way she looks at it. The truth of the matter is sometimes you, you do good, 
to sweep around your own porch and to search your own self and to ask the Lord, try me. See if there's any wicked way in me. Where have I gone astray, God? Because sometimes we expose ourselves to bad situations. We open ourselves to attacks because we have been disobedient. We've been rebellious. We got some kind of secret hidden sin that's back there. And, and so I'm just saying, Peter said it, judgment begins at the house of God. May we, God forbid, not be the ones that are pointing the finger out here at a Christless world and said, y'all are going to hell, and we never look on the inside and say, God, convict me of my secret sins. Let us walk humbly before the Lord, which we're going to see that in Micah. That's one of the big themes. Let us walk humbly before the Lord. Look at verses 6 and 7. Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the field, Places for planting a vineyard. I will pour down her stones into the valley and I will uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. And all her pay as a harlot shall be burned with the fire. All her idols I will lay desolate. For she gathered it from the pay of a harlot. And they shall return to pay uh, the pay of a harlot. Now, notice this. He said, I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the field. Micah prophesied the coming judgment of Samaria. That capital city of Israel, the, the kingdom of the ten northern tribes, this, this, this happened in 722 B.C. Uh, Samaria fell to the Assyrians. We've talked about it several times. was completely wiped out and destroyed. All her pay as a harlot shall be burned with a fire. Micah combines this idea of harlotry with spiritual idolatry. When you try to, like, add to your Jehovah worship these other gods and make this pantheon, like all these other gods and Jehovah, Jehovah, our, our God's a jealous God. You'll have no other gods before me. There's none beside me. That's his attitude. And so you try to pull in these others beside him. He sees that as unfaithfulness to a covenant relationship, trying to step out on God, have your girlfriend God's, and have you God over here? It's not going to work that way. And that's what he's saying. You've played the role of a harlot. Now, we've seen this idea before, like with Hosea. Remember, the Lord said, go marry this woman. And boy, was she a disaster. And it, we, we looked at that. Money spent on idols and their worship would be brought to nothing. When that mighty army of the Assyrians destroyed Assyria. Bruce Waltke, a professor of Old Testament and Hebrew at Dallas Theological Seminary and Regent and a bunch of other colleges. He said this, quote, Golden images of such monetary value, yet so spiritually and politically worthless, were constructed from the wages of cult prostitutes. In other words, as they worshiped these other gods, there was this ritualized, sexualized aspect of the worship of these gods the conquerors he said will break them up and use the money to repeat the same cycle only the heart Walt he says of depraved man could worship gods like that so they were messed up verses eight and nine. Oh, and i'm coming to a a swift close so we can dismiss for our baptisms uh he says, therefore, I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like jackals and a mourning like the ostriches, for her wounds are incurable. For it has come to Judah. It has come to the gate of my people to Jerusalem. 
Now, uh, and this is like, this is pretty intense language. It's very serious. Uh, and, and I tell you what, why don't we do this? Why don't you stand with me? We're going to start coming to a close with this. Kevin, if you come give me some, some background music up here. This is really intense and really serious, and uh, you guys can go ahead and be dismissed to go ahead and get changed. Go with Valerie. She'll take you back there. But he says this. He says, I will wail and howl, okay? Micah could not prophesy in the way that he's doing without his passion being involved without his passion being connected he couldn't be detached in any way he sees judgment i've gone through this very briefly i've described this brutal judgment that is coming to assyria and to judah and micah saying this i cannot be dispassionate and detached when i see this judgment he was saying i'm emotional about it to the point that I wail, howl like an animal. It's, it's an unnatural crying because of the judgment that's coming. He didn't just announce judgment and yawn. Oh, yeah. God's going to wipe you guys out. It's so bad. But I'm tired. No, it's not at all the way he approached it. He cares so deeply that he wept with God's people, for God's people. And I just want to say this too. As the church, it's our duty not to just announce judgment and walk away. As if we're unconcerned. It's our, it's our duty to say what the Word says and to care about people. I'm not trying to win theological arguments with people. I want people to get everything Jesus has for them on this side and what it takes to get onto the other side. I don't want to just say, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, and you ought to get it. If you don't, you're going to hell. I, I can't, I can't, I'm not discharging my duty if I can do that without tears without emotion on the inside. Something is wrong with the church when we've lost our ability to cry over a lost and dying world. We have disconnected from the heart of the Father. Jesus looked on the masses that were like sheep without a shepherd and He cried and He wept. He was passionate and He said, Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into the field because the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. People need the Lord. And, and I'm reminded as I see this little book of Micah, Micah's announcing all this stuff, but it's not just theology. It's, it's with tears. Montgomery Boy says this, Many who have rejected a Christian's logic have been won by his tears. Did you hear that? Many who have been displaced or rejected a Christian's logic have been won by his tears. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's the truth. Amen. He realized her wounds were incurable. 
There were incurable wounds. And it would take a miracle for her to heal. Wounds so bad that there was no hope. It was impossible for Judah or Israel to be saved. But my Bible tells me something really cool. With man it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Wouldn't one of us be in this place tonight had it not been for the impossible, amazing, reckless love of God. There wouldn't be one person getting in this baptistry tonight if it wasn't for the impossible, amazing, reckless love of God. None of us would know Jesus. None of us would be filled with the Holy Ghost if it wasn't for the impossible being made possible by a rugged cross. Thank you for joining us. And for more information, you can visit us at GoBethesda.com. You can also visit us in person at 15050 Daigle Road, Prairieville, Louisiana. Services are at 10 a.m. Sunday and 7 p.m. on Wednesday.